fantastic. Very good. Well, I wonder if you might just um, spend some time after our gathered space this morning, maybe continuing on that conversation. But a couple of weeks ago, we started the series, and it was called Quietly Loud. And Annie, thank you for sharing what you did this morning, because as I think about those things myself, if you were to ask my family members uh, about our family of origin, and would we err on the side of... um, the justice side or the compassion side, the gracious side, I'd say one of our stream is a strong justice stream. And so there's my grandpa, um, the word, his word was his bond, and there was uh, a line to be drawn in the sand and, and uh, people called to account for that. And then there was the other side of the family, which was the quieter side of the family. That was the Arnott side. I inherited all of that stuff um, on the quieter side. And both of those ideas actually run through me. So one of the challenges that we're finding as we explore this idea of quietly loud, is that we'll have some natural instincts internally, probably from our families of origin as well. So the question we've been really asking and exploring for this term is, what does it look like for a Jesus follower, a Christian? Someone of faith to inhabit a world that's rapidly changing. And so if there's three things that characterize, I think there's more than three, that the, the current context of our world is that one of the prevailing moods is that we live in a flat world. All there is is here and now. We're made up of just molecules. Space, time, and chance come together, and that is all. Secondly, that if you have a faith, it should be a personal, private space kept out of the public sphere. And third, that there's this idea of that our culture is an incredibly material, individual culture that looks for the reflex of me first. So how does someone of faith actually inhabit that sphere. And so the whole conversation we're having for this year, our theme has been quietly loud. Quietly to do with posture, loud to do with convictions, and asking the question, how do we balance both of these in our world, particularly that the the Jesus idea of being in the center of culture is no longer. And no longer being in the center, the idea is not to retrieve the middle, but rather to inhabit the whole. How do we do that? How does someone of faith actually look towards doing that? Well, over the last number of weeks, a few weeks ago, we started off with um, the first idea, which was spending time with God. Many of you would have started a 40 days preparation for Easter coming up this week, in which you committed yourself to saying, I want to be over the next 40 days practicing generosity, um, or, and... Uh, I also want to spend time with God routinely in my week because I discover that when I spend time with God, he hits the re-pause, the re-shift button in my life and I engage with him and I discover things about myself and that's actually a healthy, good space. When I spend time with God, it's as though he rewires me and that's a good thing. And then we spent some time talking about after that, God is good. That is, essentially, there's a reflex in God for the poor and the oppressed. And that that's something very much in the heart of God. He's not just for the insider, but for the outsider. He has a reflex action because he's merciful and just and fair and equitable. And that's what constitutes part of God's goodness. And then last week, Ali spoke about doing good. A Jesus follower should just do good. Because good is good. God is good. I remember being on an aircraft between Darwin and Dilly a number of years ago, and I got into conversation with the man on the other side of the aisle, younger guy, and it, 
it became apparent to me that he described different hot spots all over the world that he and his wife had been going to um, to actually attend to need. And he was involved in the Norwegian refuge. I didn't even know such a thing existed. And he said, that's where I'm going to be serving in Dili. I paused and I, over the aisle I said to him, so why do you do what you do? And I loved his answer. He thought for a moment. He turned across the aisle to me and he said, I guess it's because good matters. I think, I think good does matter. And then this week, what I'd like to be doing is talking about a sower went sowing. What does it look like for a Jesus follower to inhabit God's story wherever they are? Some years ago, my brother-in-law, who was an outdoor ed instructor, was taking a group of rock climbers, his students, out in the, in the field, and they were climbing up their rocks, and there was an accident. Someone had fallen a couple of meters, quite dangerous, head injury, not sure if there was a neck injury. In the middle of that space, in having to respond very quickly, he scaled down, and amongst his other students, he just paused for a moment, and he said, look, would you mind, I just need God's help here, I'm just going to pray. And so he paused in that space, and he prayed for a moment, and then he went on, and they attended to the person. When they did the assessment of how everyone was responding in his action at the time, a lot of the students reported that they really appreciated their instructor actually pausing, even if they didn't believe what he believed, and actually resetting their bearings. And for him, it was one of those moments that I feel like I need to actually integrate my faith life and inhabit God's will in this space right now. And so I want to ask the question this morning, what does it look like for people who follow Jesus to kind of inhabit their world? wherever they are, with God in mind. And so I want to talk about a sower went to sow. If you have a Bible with you or if you want to follow online with us, I'd invite you to join with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at just 18 sentences, a story that Jesus told and unpack it this morning for us. Wherever you are watching online, if you're watching this later, why don't you go ahead? And so the story starts off and it goes like this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. After this refers to an unsightly and a very intense situation where Jesus is at a dinner party with one of the religious figures, a faction within the religious community known as the Pharisees. And there's a dinner party kind of not honoring him, even though he was invited. And there's a woman at the, in the town who's known, who comes and actually walks around the room and sits herself beside Jesus. She's someone who's probably um, been prostituting herself. So she's a well-known person within the community. And she must have heard the good news that Jesus has been proclaiming that there is a God and, and we are more than molecules and that you matter to him. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you have done or has been done to you, he loves you. And he will welcome you home. He forgives. He washes clean. And you are welcome too. And she must have heard this message and received it into herself because she comes in gratitude well, she meets his feet, the, the way they're, they're sitting in the arrangement. She's sitting at his feet and she bursts into tears and then she's ashamed and overcome because her tears are landing on his feet and so she undoes her hair, totally inappropriate, starts to wipe his feet with her hair and then she's close to the feet anyway, so in adoration she starts kissing them. I mean, one of the most awkward moments you could imagine at a dinner party. But yet Jesus looks at this and, and he applauds this woman 
because of the, the gratitude that she has come with, having responded to this powerful message of God's love and transformation in her life. And so this is what happens. So this is the after this moment. And Jesus traveled about from town to town and village to another, proclaiming this good news that God has arrived in his person here on earth and he's putting wrongs to rights and he bids you come. And so there's 12 that follow him, and it says in this moment just after this that there's some, another group of women that follow him and are helping pay for his work that he's doing, and there's this posse of people that are following him. And if we pause for a moment and we asked and, and put a microphone up to the, the disciples who are following him at this time and said, what, if you had a question to ask Jesus, what would it be? I suspect that these two could have come from their mouths. And the first one would be this, Jesus, why isn't everyone getting with the program, because we're discovering that some people we thought would be joining you aren't, and those who we didn't think would be joining you are. And if you put the microphone to Simon the Zealot, who'd committed his life to taking up violence to achieve God's ends, he might ask, when are we going to march the capital, Jesus? Because we want to take Jerusalem, and then why not Rome? That's how we're going to establish God's kingdom. And so Jesus, it says, a large crowd was gathering around him, coming from town to town. You could just imagine people flocking to him. And he begins to tell them a parable, a figure of speech, a story, a story with powerful meaning. And this is how the story goes. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Then he proceeds, some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. I mean, Jesus is just picking up a normal farming agricultural image of the time and he's just telling a story. A sower went out to sow and as he scattered seeds, some of it fell on a path, some of it fell on rocky ground and the plants came up and withered. And then he goes on and says, and other seed fell among the thorns which grew up with it. And it just smothered the plants. And then he goes on and says, Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop. A hundred times more than what was actually sown. So this crop actually grew. It was abundant. It produced lots of other seeds. And that was the image that was the, I guess, like the figure that Jesus was proclaiming to them. And then he finished that story and said these words. Loudly it says, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Which is kind of code for, I know you've got ears, but listen, this is really important. If you've got ears to hear, I don't want you to just hear the words, but I want you to hear the words. I want them to sink deep. And then he presses on and says these curious things. You see, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in stories and parables and figures, so that though seeing they may not see, and though hearing they may not understand. Well, well, well wait a second, Jesus. <laughs> We're going around the world, uh, the, 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 the landscape here, proclaiming, telling, sharing, doing. You don't want people to hear. You don't want people to understand? What are you talking about? Well, Jesus here in this space is actually referring to 
a former person, a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has this spectacular encounter with God. He sees a vision of God and he's filled the heavenly space. That is God's dimension just beyond our eyesight from what we can see right now. And he has this amazing picture of the glory and the wonder of God filling his temple. And there's angels and they're bowing down. And God commands from his prone room. He, he says, who shall I send? And Isaiah says, well, send me. <laughs> and then Isaiah says, but what should I say? And God says to him, say this to the people. Though seeing, you don't comprehend. And though hearing, you don't understand. And Isaiah says, how long am I supposed to tell them that story? And God replies and says, until the land has been evacuated, until they have been dismissed and pushed out of the land. Why? Because they have been misbehaving so badly, I can't tolerate it anymore. Wow. The curious thing about this is just in the preceding chapter, Isaiah tells another story. And he tells a story that's kind of an agricultural one. And, and he says, there was once a man who had a beloved vineyard. And in the vineyard, he planted it in the most fertile soil. And he dug trenches around it. And he watered it. And he nourished it. And he gave it everything possibly that it should be given. But the tragedy of it is that the vines produced wild grapes, grapes that didn't belong there. And so he kept on going back to it and fertilizing it and watering it and giving it everything it needed. And it produced not just the normal grapes, but wild grapes. And the wild grapes were this. There was oppression of the poor. There was exclusion of the marginal. There was this sense of, of which there was um, all kinds of evil being perpetrated and greed and, and, and envy and people turning inward. And those were the wild grapes. And so when Jesus is mentioning these words, he's not saying, I don't want people to hear and I don't want people to see. But you know, have you ever told a child some and given them good advice and they don't listen to it? You know, do you ever know that? Have you given a young person some advice? And you say, this is really a good advice, young person, because I've walked in, in your steps before, you believe it or not. I know I'm 150, but, but you, you should pick up on some of this knowledge I'm giving you now. And they don't listen to you? And you repeat that advice over and over until one day there's an uncle or an auntie or maybe there's just sort of a random stranger on the street says they give them this advice. And then you, the child comes home and says, oh, I've heard this really good advice and I think I'm going to put it into practice now. And you're thinking, I've been telling you that for, for how many years? But it's as though you have blocked your ears to me and covered your eyes to me so that you will not listen. And Jesus wants to impress upon them not everyone's getting with the program because there's some people in his day and age that so they've covered their eyes and blocked their ears. And he so wants them to hear. So he says, would you listen? And so then he pulls the disciples aside and he says, this is the meaning of this parable. He says, the seed is, is the word of God. That doesn't mean the Bible is not like a sower throwing out Bibles everywhere into the ground to help them. But the seed is the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven breaking in through Jesus, that God is becoming king through him. He's pushing back all of the powers and he's overcoming them. And he's welcoming people, not only the insiders, but profoundly the outsiders as well, because it's good news to them as well. 
that you are welcome in God's family. And, and, and if you would turn to him, he would forgive you and wash you clean and welcome you. And so Jesus, if you like, he's trying to instill upon them the simple profound message is that God is becoming king through me. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of God is. It's happening before you. And so then he begins to, if you like, unpack the meaning of this story, this parable. And he says this, those along the path are the ones who hear. And then there's this devil murky creature. There's this other unseen force that comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. What is that idea of believe? It's a settled conviction that God is bringing about his work through Jesus and if someone places their settled conviction in him, then if you like, it's this idea of repentance, a wholesale turning to God without any wheeling or dealing. He welcomes them as though they, they never left because that's what he's like. And then he goes on and he says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who hear the word with joy. And when they hear it, but they have no root, they believe for a while in the time, but in a time of testing, they fall away. I have this picture of a group of cyclists. Maybe this afternoon, they're climbing up a mountain. And as they're climbing up a mountain, it's getting harder and harder. And they're getting tested more and more. And they're pushing down hard on the pedals, but it's really hard to maintain that. And so what they do is they start to fall off and fall away. And Jesus said, there's some people that might hear the things that I'm saying, but it's as though there comes a time in their life where someone says, Come on, surely you can't believe that stuff, not in our modern age. Or maybe there's someone who's critical of some of the ideas that they have and they feel the struggle and the tension of that. So they're inclined to want to fall off the back of the pack, if you like. But a sower went out to sow. And then Jesus, he turns to the next image part of the story and he says, and there was the seed that fell among the thorns and that stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked, they're suffocated by life's worries and the pursuit of riches and pleasures and fun, and they just don't mature. It's as though it takes hold for a moment, it, it sort of explodes in their life, and they receive the good news of this kingdom of God, that, that we are more than molecules, and that God has hope for your life. He's defeated the powers of death. He's defeated all the unseen forces. And, and he's defeated this instinct within you to say, God, I want to call the shots. This sinful instinct that says, God, get out of my life. I want to do it my way. And he's made a way for you. And he says, there's people who receive that, but then, well, they just get distracted. It's not as though they wake up one morning and they say, God, I'm done with you. <laughs> but it's as though they wake up on a series of mornings and they just place other things in their life. And so they wake up down the track somewhere and they, God's a distant kind of memory and used to be something you're passionate about, but it's no longer. But a sower went out to sow. And then Jesus said, but the seed on the ground stands for the good soil, for those with an honest and good heart, who hear the word, who hold onto it, and with persevering, they produce a crop. You see, remember the woman that I met at the dinner party? She heard the words that I was saying and something exploded in her. 
And she said, I can't believe it. I believe that's true for me. And I believe that man, Jesus. And so I want to follow him with all of my heart. And then just a few stories before, there was a centurion, an outsider, who, who came to Jesus and said, I've heard you're a miracle worker. My slave's really sick. And then he says to Jesus some spectacular things. He says, you don't have to come to my house. I, I don't want to. You're a teacher. But just you say the word and I know it will be done. And Jesus, in a marvelous fashion, says, I don't think I've discovered anyone with such faith like that. They're, they're coming to him and they're discovering him. And there's people who produce a crop just like that. Jesus says when someone experiences that, there'll be a light like a light in a lamp that's not hidden. It will be visible to all. It'll kind of shine out. You can't stop it. Because that's what, when God's kingdom comes alive in human flesh, it happens. A sower went out to sow. So Jesus concludes this story, if you like, this conversation with these words. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. You see, whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Not because God doesn't want you to hear, because remember the plants? It's kind of what happens. So if we pause for a moment here, it's as though Jesus is drawing a line in the sand and he's getting a little loud to his disciples here and the people around. And the natural thing that we want to do when we hear this story is ask the question about the soils, right? And so some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, so which soil am I? And which soil is the person next to me? And which soil is the neighbor down the road? And I understand that because there's something instinctive about this that you just want to weigh up and evaluate. And then another question that often people have is, well, are the soils fixed? Like, is it that soil one time for all? And when they ask that question, I want to steer them to Luke chapter 19, where Jesus has a conversation with some other, and he tells a story about a loving dad with two sons. <laughs> and, and one of them said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Oh, get out of my life. Give me all the inheritance. And spectacularly, he does. The son goes away. And when he's at his lowest of lows, it says he came to his senses. And we wonder, how on earth does that happen? What seemed to be hard soil just became soft. And his father welcomes him home with open arms, even though he's still trying to do a deal with dad. And so when I hear this story, I'm reminded that just in a few chapters on, Jesus sends out the 12, and then he sends out the 70, and then he might send out the people of faith here with a simple message. I want you to go and do what I just did. A sower went out to sow. In the everyday highways and byways of their life, a soul went out to sow. And as they went out, he says, I just want you to proclaim and heal. And if I could hold that, I'd say to pray and to practice. Because one of the challenges I think that in this different cultural context we find ourselves in now is that sometimes Jesus people might think that they're the ones that have to make things happen. That if they can pull the right levers, do God's work for him, then they will bring it about. 
And I think the reminder for me in this is that Jesus just says, no, 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 wait a second. There's a job you do and there's a job I do. You see, a sower went out to sow. The sower just sowed wherever he was. It's not up to you to decide on who you think might be receptive or not, who you think might be worthy or not, who you think might be the insider or the outsider. What I'd love you to do is just to, to, if you like, reflect on the goodness of the seed that's there and a sower went out to sow. It reminds me that I need to leave God to do God's things and for me to get on practicing the things that he's called me to do, a sower goes out to sow. One of the challenges that I find is that sometimes the Jesus mob on this proclaiming bit have been quite loud, but on the practicing bit, they've been really quiet. And I wonder if the challenge for the Jesus mob is to say, actually, in this new space we need to inhabit, we need our practice to be loud over a long period of time. And for our proclamation to be respectful, not to give it up, but actually to hold the two things in tension together. Come on up, Peter. This week, when we were over at the office here, we had a lady who arrived. And she had just been discharged from a psych ward. And the people who were caring for her... Then as she was um, being handed over to sort of a, a mediatory group, um, there must have been something that went wrong. And so uh, they uh, discharged her. And we were over here at our heel clinic where it's a drop-in center where people can, can come, have a coffee, have a haircut, have a therapeutic massage. And as she arrived, I saw the group of people in her mob surround her. And it was marvelous. And I remember sitting with her out here and having conversation with her. And she said, I can't go home because it's dangerous for me. If I do, who knows what will happen to me? And so I said, I sense you're a, you're a person who wouldn't mind if I prayed for you. And she said, that would be fine. And so I said, God, in this space right now, we're trying to find a safe place for this woman. Would you help us? And she said, I've got this two Jesus people that I reckon I could call. I mean, we're thinking about our own space here too. I said, how about we just ask them? And I heard later on that as she made a call and they said, why don't you come and you can rest with us. You'll be safe. I couldn't help but wonder at the loving action of human hearts with open hands wanting to reflect their faith so evidently and practically in a really hard situation. Thanks, mate. You see, I wonder how God might be speaking to you today. In this part of our journey on Quietly Loud, I want to impress upon you the beauty of the seed the sower just went out to sow. And that as I kick my feet out of bed in the morning times, if I just have that lodged in my brain, a sower went out to sow. Indiscriminately, openly, willingly. What does it look like for me to inhabit God's story daily? 
being alert to those moments that maybe he invites me to join him in what he's doing, being respectful in my workplaces and schools, being honouring in my convictions that I hold, trying to listen to me, when do I need to be loud and when do I need to be quiet? Because he's teaching how to be a sower so is his good news because it is good news I wonder how God might be speaking to you today I'm going to pray right now and whatever it is that he's speaking to you about that he might anchor deep within you maybe you're here this morning and you've never received that good news message that's for you I'd invite you here in this space to just open up your heart say God thank you if Jesus is who you says he is then I welcome him into my life thank you for what you've done for me so God here in this place this morning wherever we are with you we want to thank you for this challenging story would you give us ears to hear eyes to see how does someone of faith balance loudness and quietness? Would you help me to be a sower? You just values that good news wherever I am. This year, would you help us be sowers who just indiscriminately scatter your seeds? and allow you to blow fresh life into them wherever they be.